got three verses, and uh, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 are our first ones. Your way of life should be free from the love of money, and you should be content with what you have. After all, he has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. This is why we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I won't be afraid. What can people do to me? And then from Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is wealthy. And from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. I refrained from nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Indeed, my heart found pleasure from the results of my hard work. That was the reward for all my hard work. But when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had worked so hard to achieve, I realized that it was pointless. A chasing after wind. Nothing is to be gained under the sun. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's interesting verses, aren't they? You probably identified with one or more of them, or maybe it kind of challenged how you understand life to be. That's what I love about some Ecclesiastes especially. It's pointless. Sounds like a, it's not the kind of person you'd want to hang out with on a day, but you find the wisdom. Um, so we're in week three of enough. Enough meaning, can we look at our lives and say of our worldly possessions, we have enough? Or do we find something that, well, we'll have enough if or when I get this one thing or these things or make this thing bigger in my life. Um, it's interesting to evaluate our lives, to ask some of the questions that were up there. You know, if you're not feeling satisfied, what do I do about that? And we are putting together a security team at the church because we have people all throughout the building and if there's a tornado warning or if there's a fire or if there's a train derailment or something that just likely won't happen, but if it does, we want to be prepared. And it's been having us ask questions. And similar to the questions you might ask, when you've gone through this process with your family, I hope you have. What do we do if there's a fire? What if the fire is in this place and we can't go out that normal way? Where do we go now? You start asking these questions because you want to be prepared, yes? But there's also that part of it of, what will I take out with me? What do I want to make sure makes it into the safety of whatever, wherever I'm going? Because I can't grab everything in the moment. So what will I grab and what will I not grab? Interesting conversations that... Uh, I hope none of you ever have to truly deal with in real life, but it's a good exercise for us to just process what's truly important in our lives. We accrue a lot of stuff, and as the Luke verse says, our life doesn't consist of the abundance of things, but our culture, the TV, has a very different message. It tells us we are what we have. We are our salary, our title, however much stuff, how big our TV is, what brand of car we have, and what model of the brand of car that we have. We face that message all the time. Our kids face that message. Our grandkids, our nieces and nephews, any children we have that care about, they're growing up in this world. You see it, how it's affecting them, but do you see how it's affecting you? Or 
you who are a little younger, do you see how it's affecting you? Or can you look at some of the, the bigger people and see how it affects them? Asking these kinds of questions are, are ones that we as Christians should never shy away from because our life does not consist on our own security and our answers, does it? Our security truly relies on God as our source, and we get that mixed up. Amen? If I were to say, how do you know your future's secure? Are you pointing to a 401k? Are you pointing to a house that'll be paid off? Are you you get, my, get my gist. We say that our, our lives don't consist of, a, of possessions. We say that as Christians, but do our lives actually reflect that? Restless heart syndrome. Um, kind of taking a play on restless leg syndrome. If you're not familiar with that, it's where you cannot get your legs comfortable and they drive you crazy and you can't get rest. You can't, you can't do much of anything because you're constantly dealing with restless leg and, and isn't that the condition of our hearts so often we are unable to become content because we're constantly thinking about what we need to do and what we need to be and what our dreams are and what we haven't accomplished by the time that we hit landmark ages, right? We judge ourselves based on what we thought we would accomplish. It's such a funny thing when I, at 18, pictured where I'd be when I was 25 and 30, right? And then I got there and I was nowhere near any of that and that's not an easy Thing to confront. Or maybe it's 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, and you think, I'm not where I thought I'd be. To which I offer the, what dawned on me, what did I know when I was 18? Seriously. Um, life doesn't go the way we plan. So we deal with this restlessness on many levels in our lives, and one is with our stuff. Now, our primary symptom of restless heart syndrome, if you're suffering from this, is you are discontent with your stuff. You look at your car and you think of all the things you wish it had or what you're going to get in your next car. Or you look at your phone or you look at your computer or you look at your house or you look at your job. My next job, I'm not going to deal with that stuff that I deal with in this job, right? We're just always discontent with what we have. Um, we're saving money for things that we don't have, right? We're building our future on things that we want we don't have yet. And we're discontent. And in the meantime, where we're at with God and growing deeper and growing more as human beings and expanding our consciousness to what this all means as we relate to each other, as we relate to creation, as what our purpose actually is, we're quite content. Oftentimes we just think, well, I'm good, right? I'm good, I, I come, I, I've been baptized, I'm good, right? We're content here. We've got it backwards, actually. What God would like us to be discontent with is our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our ability to be fully human, made in the image of Jesus Christ, the image of God. We're supposed to be being perfected and sanctified. This is a job that means we're changing every day. Are you craving the change? Or do you even think about it? Or is all the stuff distracting you? Because we're supposed to be content with our stuff. We've got it backwards. I'm preaching as I might I know I'm preaching to me. Am I preaching to anyone else? Okay, just want to make sure. I'm down here with you. All right. Four keys to cultivating contentment. Um, four simple things we can do. The Apostle Paul, this comes from Paul who was sitting in prison when he wrote some of his letters. He was sitting in prison awaiting to find out if he was going to be executed. Okay, just think on that. That's his reality. And yet he's writing us Philippians. He's writing us letters that are talking about the hope and the gratitude that he has 
in the midst of his reality, and he's writing to churches who are going through their own difficulties, people that are going through their own restless heart moments, and he's saying, there's a secret to being content with the stuff you're supposed to be content with. So number one, say these words with me, it could be worse. We get into a situation and we think, this is terrible, I don't like it, and it can be something as simple as, I like my new car, but I wish that screen, that navigation screen were a little bigger. It could be worse, folks. Amen? You could be sitting in your car and thinking, if I have to manually roll up that window again, I'm going to scream. It could be worse. Could have turned the ignition and nothing happened. It could be worse. One question to ask us, number two, is how long will this make me happy? Whatever it is I have, whatever it is I'm focused on, whatever it is that I'm discontent, whether it's something you have or whether it's something you want. You ever get a new, a new toy? How many have gotten a new phone or a new computer or new TV in the last couple of years? All right. You remember when you got it and you got to open it up? Remember how much joy it brought you just to open it up? And remember how mad you were going to get if somebody opened it up for you? Because you want to open it up, right? How much joy we have from peeling plastic off a box. But it's real. Amen? And how long will that make you happy, this new toy? Did you know that over 90% of the stuff we buy today will be in the trash in six months? That's a statistic you can sit with. How much will this thing really make me happy? There's a moment of satisfaction. But how long will it last? Number three, developing a grateful heart. Paul had a grateful heart. And it's not something you just decide to have. You gotta work at it. You gotta develop the habit. Paul said we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Maybe we don't even know how we're gonna mean it, but we're gonna give thanks to God and find something in the circumstance to be grateful about. So when your car is looking older and you're thinking, man, my neighbor just got a new car. Being grateful could be how wonderful it is that I can even drive to begin with because one day that's not going to be the case. And to not have a car payment, yeah, I need to say no more. How about this? It's difficult to grow old. I'm so tired of being sore. Life's so different than it used to be, I don't even understand what other people are doing. When you look at it through a grateful heart, it becomes what a privilege it is to be alive, to be able to grow old. What a joy it is that I get to share life with others, and most of the time, for those of us who are blessed, our families just grow, and we can look and enjoy that. We can continue to learn and grow ourselves. We're never done learning. We're never done being able to participate in what God has for us if we just flip the script. Number four, where does your soul find true satisfaction? I have to read that about three or four times to understand the gravity of the question. Where does your soul find true satisfaction? Is it in God? And if you say it's in God, are you saying that because, well, that sounds like what Pastor Joe would want you to say, or are you saying it because that's where your soul finds true satisfaction. St. Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Psalm 63, 
the psalmist says, oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul is satisfied as a rich feast. And my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you, when I'm lying down and meditate on you in the watches of the night. And in Ecclesiastes, we're reminded, whatever my eyes desired, I, I didn't keep it from them. My heart's pleasure, I gave it. And I worked really hard for what I earned. But when I looked back over, I realized it was all pointless, chasing after the wind. Does our hard work ever bring us true satisfaction? It helps sometimes. Jesus said, we love God and love our neighbor. That's our purpose. Amen? Greatest commandments. We keep our focus on those two things. Does what you earn help you achieve those two things? It can. But it takes us looking at it the right way. We have to simplify our lives. So five steps for simplifying. To cultivate contentment in our lives, simplicity is key. One, we set a goal of reducing our consumption, okay? So t set a tangible goal for yourself. Wherever you are, you can always reduce more, and it's always a good thing. You can take canvas bags to grocery shop with, a little less plastic, plus you don't have to figure out what to do with them when your closet fills up and you can't stuff any more in there. Yeah, we got one of those, don't we? Whenever you're making purchases, look at the mid-grade option rather than the top of the line. I've got really expensive taste, I will be the first to admit. But just stepping down, simple. Making my life a little less about that. When I'm buying a new car, maybe aim to improve your fuel economy by 10%. Get the new car. Nothing wrong with a new car, but maybe we can do a little better toward creation in the process. We can reduce our utilities. Okay, I know I'm gonna set wars off in the homes by mentioning the thermostat. Cut back. In your utilities, just turn, turn the thermostat in whatever direction by a couple degrees that will require a little less energy while you're away and while you sleep, okay? At home, bake in the wintertime if you want. But see if we can just reduce a little, a little more. Find other ways to reduce consumption, to live below our means. That's the goal. If we can live below our means, then, you know, this is our means and this is where we live. We have this gap that just allows us to be more free, Stuff doesn't bring us freedom. It doesn't bring us satisfaction. Truly having freedom and not being under the boot of creditors or our debt makes us free. Amen? Before making a purchase, ask yourself, do I really need this? And don't do what I do, which is try to get to the cash register before I have time to ask the question so that I don't actually have to deal with the question. Anybody do that? Or ask, why do I want this? Do I even know why I want it? Do I want it because the commercial made it look really cool and I think it's probably going to be fun? Or do I really even know why I want it? Yeah. Number three, use something up before buying something new. How many of you are frustrated that you buy a printer, right, and it's cheaper to buy a new one than it is to fix the old one? You know why that's the case? Because they know you're going to throw it away anyway before it's done. How many of you are already looking at replacing something that works fine? I told you I'm preaching to myself. How about planning low-cost entertainment that enriches? We all want to take our kids to Disney World, okay? I'm speaking as a parent here. We want to take our kids to Disney World. 
Yes. You know how much it costs? I only have two kidneys, okay? I can only sell one to go to Disney World, um, and it would be fun, yes, but all the money spent, and it would be a great time, right? I'd be exhausted and miserable for part of it, but it would be fun for the other part, right? But how many memories, your, your fondest memories of time with family or friends involved spending a lot of money? How many times were sitting around playing a game you've played a hundred times, telling the same story you've told a hundred times? Why do we think we need to spend money to find entertainment? Because we're told that's how it works. So ask yourself, this one's tough, are you ready? Are there major changes that you could make to allow you to simplify your life? Could you sell your car? Could you sell your house? Downsizing. Could you? Does it seem untouchable? Is that not in the cards? I can tell you of two friends that I know that did exactly that. And it worked out pretty well, didn't it? Yeah. Ask yourselves, what do I need? Why do I really want? I mean, if I, if I want my bigger house, it's just to keep all the stuff that I complain about having anyway, right? They keep shoving into that room. Yeah. The power of self-control. This is our last point. Proverbs says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. There is nothing standing in the way of you being dominated and taken over by temptation when you have no self-control. And we know that when we're running to the cash register to try to buy it before we can talk ourselves out of it because our temptation has controlled us and is actually fighting the better good that we know exists but don't want to admit in the moment. Is I the only one that does this? You, you, okay, good. I wonder if I'm the only crazy person. Self-control. So a couple, a couple things. If you're going to do whatever you're going to do, if you're going to think about selling your house, think about selling your car, if you're going to buy a new phone, if you're going to go on a trip, ask these questions. What are the long-term consequences of this action? What does this mean for me in five years? Is it something that will be in the trash in six months? Does that impact my decision? Is there a higher good or better outcome if I use this time or this money or this energy in another way? Can I honor God in another way? Or am I even honoring God in the first place with what I want to do? Where do you find your true satisfaction? Conclusion here. Real simple. Which tent will you live in? Discontent? Contentment. What will you live with God? Will you be content? Get to God when you have time. Will you be discontent with your stuff and ever be allowing the, the temptation to come right in and sweep you off your feet? Or will you flip it around? Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to live in the right tent, discontent with God and our relationship with God and others and how we love and content with our stuff. The Holy Spirit empowers us if we don't resist. If you decide that life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions then you are choosing to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit and how you relate to your resources. You stop trusting your resources for everything and you trust on the source for everything. And we find life, capital L, life, fullness of life, eternal life, life. God wants to give it to you so badly and not only on Sunday mornings and not only with your, your prayer life, but with your money. God wants to give you life so badly. Will you let God?
Let's say a prayer. Lord, we pray that you might cure us of restless heart syndrome. And we are sorry for the times when we have received the gifts that you give us and we have asked for the gift receipt. When we were dissatisfied with a person that you entrusted to our care. When we were dissatisfied with our children or our parents, with our home or our car, with our health care or our job. God, forgive us for the times that we've offended you by our discontent. Forgive us for being content with the things we should not be content with. Give us a hunger to pursue righteousness and holiness and justice and love, to long for you and for your will in our lives. Help us to simplify, to cultivate the right kind of contentment, to get off the treadmill of spending and buying, and to find our peace, our satisfaction in you. We ask these mercies in your holy name, and we thank you that you are ever ready to answer that prayer if we but let you. Amen. Mm -hmm.